0: Good morning connection Church we're excited that you're here to worship with us this morning and if you don't already know that we're here to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and man I'm excited to be with you if you don't know me if I hadn't met you my name' is Ethan I get the honor and pleasure of serving as one of the pastors here and so I'm preaching this morning Billy's um he's filling in and he's preaching um, Colossians 3 over at connection uh, Savannah and so uh, one of the other connection churches in the network of course and so uh, I get the pleasure, but before we dive in, a couple of quick announcements is one, we're excited about our women's conference this upcoming Friday yes. at 6.30. Woo, that's right, yeah, that's right. We're excited about, uh, that didn't really work out in the applause, I thought it would, but <laughs> our women's conference this Friday, 6.30. Um, we have some hometown heroes that are speaking, some women that are speaking to lead that, and it's gonna be phenomenal. It's already busting, it seems, but if you are a female in the room or have friends, ladies, even if they don't come to Connection Church, you can still invite them, you can sign up online, see us afterwards if if you're confused or need some help, figuring out some details, but you can sign up online um, through our app or through the website. And secondly, baptism next Sunday, there were several people in our baptism class during the 9 a.m. service, but baptisms are next Sunday, so if baptism is your next step, or if you just have questions on what is baptism, or why do we even need to be baptized, or what does that mean, we'd love to talk with you about that, and so you can find myself or somebody else on staff here, just please come see us after the service, and we'd love to get you hooked up with, with what that is and why, and maybe if that's your next step. So with that being said, we've, we've got a lot, and this text, I like to say, like, this text is juicy, man. It's got some good stuff, and it gets me fired up, but I really believe 2 Corinthians 5, the whole chapter, um, Steve preached on the first half last week and did phenomenal, but verses 11 through, or 10 through 21 might be my favorite passage in the whole Bible, and I'm going to try my best to like handcuff myself and put a seatbelt on because if I'm not careful, we won't get through it all and I'll get excited and I'll spend 45 minutes on the first couple. And so that's my prayer is that I can kind of stay within my lanes and not get too crazy too quick that we'll make it through. And so, um, yeah, let's just buckle up. And I know God's word is faithful. He promises that his word will never return void. And so my prayer coming in here today is I realize this word challenges us, convicts us, saves us. Right encourages us, and some things this morning might challenge the very nature of of, of really of what we've believed and who we are and, and what our purpose is. And I pray this morning that we would leave here looking more like Christ. And so let's read the scripture together, and um, then we're going to go from there. So starting in Second Corinthians chapter five, I'm going to start in verse ten, and then we're going to read through the end. Verse 10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Pause. Already at the start, it says Since we're all going to be facing the judgment seat of Christ one day, we're all going to be held accountable and in knowledge of the fear of the Lord, like. That's just so big, I don't wanna like, spend a lot of time there, but just think of this question. Have you thought about, you are gonna stand before a living and holy God one day? And if you have, how has that changed how you live? Let's keep reading. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what it is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say it is, or some say it is for God. Isn't that true? Like living for Jesus in the world's eyes looks crazy sometimes, right? If you're not looking a little crazy, you're probably not doing it right. But he says, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer go to hell. No, it doesn't say that, right? Right? And he died for all that for, that, though, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died, to, who died for them and was raised again. Once again, we say this a lot, guys. We weren't just saved from something. Like we didn't just pass go and get our, you know, get out of hell $200 gift card here. We were saved for something so that we might live for him, right? And isn't it also in verse 14, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I've heard that a lot over the years of compelled by love or constrained by love, but isn't that just a thought that everything we do, while we have a ministry here, while we have a church here, it literally is compelled because what Christ has first done for us, in us, and now he wants to do through us. Continue on to verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come, or he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, another word, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you um, just for this truth. And I pray this morning that I know you've already gone before us and you've softened our hearts, but I pray that you will, we will hear and receive what you had for us and we will not leave the same, Father. I pray whatever it is you're convicting of, of us today, we will put our yes on the table, and we will take our next step of obedience, whatever that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's a, there's a lot we could, we could dive into this morning, but something that really sticks out, if I had like an umbrella heading or title, is a new creation for these 11 or 12 verses. And so when I read through this, I can't help but think, like, one of the, like the main point here is we become a new creation in Christ, and there's a word that we see a lot called reconciliation or to be reconciled. And that's a fancy word. Don't feel bad if you don't know what it means. That's okay. Like, that's a fancy word. If you Google it, it'll say something like this. But to reconcile is to have two opposing parties that are at war with each other, enemies with each other, and have a truce, have peace between them, to be fastened together. Okay? So, when it says that we're to be reconciled to God through Jesus, that's simply the gospel. And so, I want to lay that out. We have a diagram for you on the screen. And we're going to walk through something called the three circles diagram. And I think Billy's done this before on a Sunday morning, but I also wanna do it again to reiterate it because I don't think we can ever grow past the gospel. We need to constantly be reminded of this is what reconciles us back to God. And also, like, I hope this could be a good tool if you need help in explaining the gospel to someone else as well. And so first we have God's design for us. And so if we're drawing a circle, the very first circle is that God's design, and we think of Genesis 1 in the beginning, right, like God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, he created man and woman in his image, right? Glorifying him. There wasn't sin, it was perfection. They were in perfect obedience. They were in perfect worship and submission. He was their God. They were his people, right? And I think of just heaven on earth. I can't even really imagine what it is. I can just try to, but I think of heaven on earth, no sin, right? They were in perfection. That's how he designed it, to enjoy his grace and extend his glory, if you want to see the whole purpose of the whole Bible, I believe we can find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We overlook it, but he says, be fruitful and what? Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Well, check this out. Before sin entered the world, what does that look like? If they were image bearers, if they were made in God's image and they were worshipers of God and there was no sin to like taint that or pervert that, what would have happened is the earth would have been filled with his glory from worshipers that look different, talk different, and had different cultures as humanity changes over time with different communities, but they all would have been in perfect unison and worship to God. And if we fast forward to Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, isn't that the picture we see in the throne room? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And so we see from the very beginning, God's purpose, right, excuse me, Right? Was, he was a, he's a good and loving father, but also a holy father where he created us to enjoy his grace, but to extend his glory. And so here's the gospel. So, yeah, I got sidetracked. Sorry about that. Here's the gospel. That was his design, but what, what ruined that? Sin, right? So we sin, Adam and Eve sinned in the, in the garden, right? They ate of the apple, and that separated us from God. Well, now we have to be reconciled because there's a separation, and it says you were eternally, they were eternally separated from God, right? And it broke that, and that led to a world of brokenness. And so the next circle is brokenness, where you see that we live in a broken world. Everyone has been affected by disease, death, pain, heartbreak, sorrow, sickness, something. We live in a broken world, and that's a result of sin. That is not God's original design, right? And so we live in this broken world, and here's the problem. We can't get out of it. We are born into sin, and we've said this several times, but we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's in our nature. It's our root, right? And so we can't get out of it. And even whether you're religious and grew up in the Bible Belt like myself, like, like Nicodemus in John chapter three, we might mention later, but he thought he could get out of the brokenness through religiousness, through earning his way out, from being godly enough or righteous enough, right? Or sometimes we think we can get out of this brokenness through relationships, like that's gonna satisfy us, or through um, getting married and have a family, like that that might satisfy Some of us, maybe through a career or success, or material wealth, or accomplishments, or accolades, but at the end of the day, everything we do, everything we have is tainted by sin, and we live in a world full of brokenness because of that. And that's the problem. We are disconnected at war with God, separated from God, right? And so, praise the Lord, there's good news. That's the bad news. If we stop there, that would be kind of depressing, right? And you're like, I will never want hear Ethan talk again. But like, the good news is the gospel, and so the next circle we have is the cross came. And here's what Jesus did for us. I love how verse 21, and, and as we just read in 2 second, second Corinthians 5, 21 says, He who knew no sin became our sin so that in him we become the righteousness of God. The great reformer Martin Luther says that's the great exchange, is that Christ in his righteousness took our place as a wretched sinner separated from God and switch places with us. So now Ethan Floyd is seen as righteous in Christ. And I can recover. And, and that's the, after going through the gospel, I can recover and redeem his design for my life. And be in a relationship with him with a perfect and holy yet loving God. And one thing I want to reiterate too is this repent and believe part right here. Because that's a military term we've talked about before. If you've been through heart and soul, to repent means to do a 180 to do a complete term, and also to believe, that believe is a struggle. Like I think we water down the meaning of believe, we think we can believe something and not act on it, that's not the case here. You can agree intellectually with Jesus died for you, but it's not whether you agree or think that, it's your belief is Jesus Christ in your heart. And so the way to the gospel, the way through the gospel, is we have to repent and essentially say, it's not about Ethan anymore, It's not about I or myself, it's about you. I surrender my life, my rights, my everything, and I make you as my Lord and Savior, right? And so one way you can kind of tell, and we're gonna have like an opportunity later to really investigate our heart, I pray during the response time, but if you've prayed a prayer, like many of us have growing up in Sunday school or something here in South Georgia, because you didn't wanna get out of hell, if you didn't fully understand or fully believe and get born again, you can kind of tell because over the years, you can look at your life and say, is there any fruit in my life? Is there any evidence that I desire God? If you can look at something, Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. I'm not saying we don't have bad days and mess up and, and even have bad months or even years where we backslide, but is there fruit in my life or evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in me that I've become a new creation in Christ? We've gotta chew on that. We've gotta be honest with ourselves, Right? And so lastly, if we have done that, guess what? We can. The last thing, to complete the circle, we can recover and redeem God's design for our life. And so from there, to be reconciled to God, the first and maybe the most important thing is just the gospel, how he reconciled us to himself. Well, here's the, here's the good news leading to my second point. If you've been reconciled to God, the Bible literally says you have become a new creation. Praise the Lord, right? We have become a new creation Look at this, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Behold, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And so, being reconciled to Christ means you have literally become a new creation. And like, why is this such good news? It's good news because it shows that there's nothing in and of ourselves that can earn this, right? Like, I I can't just be a different person, because I, I try really hard to do enough good things. I can't physically transform my substance to something else. I love how I think it's like to make bronze, you take copper and tin ore, and there's a chemical reaction that happens where once, once copper and tin are, 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 are smelted together, they become bronze, and if you remelt it, it's still bronze, like it's a whole new substance, right? Like you can't separate it anymore and that's what happens in Christ. We become a whole new substance with a whole new identity and we become a son or a daughter in Christ. I love how I was meeting with a young man this past week and he gave his life to Christ recently and repented and, and believed and now he's, he's seen as a son, right? But I, we were reading first, uh, John chapter one, verses 12 and 13. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God. He said, man, I didn't realize I'm now a child of God. Like, I don't know about you, but if we really sit with that, that is exciting because once we put our faith in Christ and surrender to him, the Bible says you are a new creation and you have become a child of God. It doesn't matter who you, what family you were born into, who you were, what you did, what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do, what they said you were, what they thought about you, what you think they think about you. It doesn't matter because what God says about you is whoever has believed in me has the right, has become a child of God. Whew, I don't know about you, but Maybe in a different setting, I'd have the band, the drummer, come back on and we'd run up and down the aisles a little bit because we just became a child of God if we're in Christ. And I don't think there's any better news we can understand today. And there's one story that makes me want to drive this home that, or help, it helped drive it home for me of like our identity is in Christ because it's it's although we're a child of God, we don't become perfect overnight. But what happens is we do become righteous overnight because of that great exchange we saw in verse 21, right? Like, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me because he took all my sin. And so now when I die one day and I stand before the Lord, and I pray this is the same for you, he's gonna see Jesus in Ethan. And that's a question we gotta wrestle with. Is he gonna see Jesus in you? Is the spirit of the living God in you gonna testify? He's, this is the son, this is the daughter, There with me. And so although I'm now seen as righteous in God's eyes, although I'm now seen as a son, here's what happens. I didn't become become sinless overnight. But now I have the power over sin where I can sin less. I didn't become perfect overnight, but guess what? I'm now forever a son. There's nothing I can do to earn that or to keep that. There's nothing I can do to lose that. Because I became a whole new creation, I can't just, like, die to that, right? I became a whole new creation. And so I can work out my salvation with fear and trembling, like it says in one of the later letters that Paul writes. But listen to this. That doesn't mean when I was younger, I thought that meant crap. I have to earn my salvation. I have to work it out. No, 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 no. What if someone says, hey, work out your marriage? You're fighting, you're struggling. Hey, y'all need to work out your marriage. You were married when you entered the covenant, when you said, I do and a minister officiated it, and you said your vows, and you signed this paper in the the sight of God and many witnesses, you entered a covenant of marriages that wasn't based off of conditions, but a covenant that goes beyond. So when someone says work out your marriage, it doesn't mean you have to earn being married still. I don't have to earn my wife's, you know, credit or my credibility to still be her husband, but I am called to work it out and grow in it to make it look more like Christ. In the same way, now that I am a son of the living God, I will always be a son. You will always be a son or a daughter in God. But we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, just like the first verse said in verse 10 and 11, that in light, in view of the knowledge of the fear of God, that we're all gonna stand before the throne one day in front of a holy and living God, we're gonna stand there and in view of that holy accountability, I have a good father who loves me so much he took my place, but I also have a father that's gonna hold me accountable and he, and he demands obedience. And so we're not perfect overnight, but we are seen as righteous in Christ overnight. There's one story. I met a man one time and in, in, he was a missionary, I believe, and I can't remember his name, but true story. Had a son and over time, they you know, raised him in a Christian home and he just strayed. He got caught up in the wrong house, on the, and I'm sorry, in the wrong crowd. And for one reason or another, he just strayed. And I think we've all been there to an extent, right? It might look a lot different, but we've all been there a little bit. Well, his life really went downhill. He really got involved with drugs and alcohol, and he just was trapped, and he couldn't get out. And over years now, over years, there was this battle of he was in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, and his, and his mom and dad were just fervently praying, 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 praying that God would get a hold of his life. And so one day, he really hit his rock bottom. Like they had hoped and prayed for so many times before, but it never seemed to work. So many times he had stolen from them or borrowed from them or made false promises said, hey, I'm gonna get right this time, I'm serious. I'm gonna actually like, turn my life around or turn to the Lord. But it was just all talk. There never really was a change of heart. And so one time, he actually took some of his parents' money again, his dad's money. And he went out, and he got one more high. And he went in this comatose while he was in a high. And he felt like he, and and from what he said, he had this kind of picture of a holy God in a heaven and a hell. And he knew he he wasn't going to heaven. And it scared him to death, and he woke up. And he called his dad at like 3 a.m., and he was in the middle of kind of like a trap house. And he called his dad, and he said, hey, dad, I know I'm not your son anymore, but will you come get me? And his dad goes and gets him, and he pulls up. And he goes in the house, and everyone's kind of like out or on their high or doing their thing. And he goes to the back, and he finds his son, and he he drags him out and pulls him in the car. And the first thing he said to me, is, says, you will always be my son. You will never not be my son. You might not always act like it or live like it, but you will always be my son. And that's the importance of being a new creation in Christ. There is freedom that says it doesn't matter what Ethan has done or what he is doing or what he will do. Yes, obedience matters, but from an identity standpoint, if you are in Christ, you have been reconciled to God and his design for your life. You are forever a child of God, a son or a daughter of God. Do we feel that? That should be the most freeing thing because I don't have to work for my salvation anymore. I get to work out of it. I don't have to earn it. I get to obey and walk in it. And so to be a new creation, it it kind of implies several things. And I think one of the biggest things is it gives us a whole new lens on life. It gives us a whole new perspective. You see, being a new creation in Christ, I think two things it does by, by giving us a new lens is one, it gives us a new lens, a new perspective of how we view our personal relationships. Because reconciled people lived reconciled lives. It changes our worldview from the very core of us. Check this out. If you just Google worldview, worldview is how you see the world and make sense of things. What is real? Whether you realize it or not, in the world, wherever you're at, whatever culture you're in, everyone has a worldview, right? And I have a diagram and a picture to put put on the, the board for us, or the screen, excuse me. Was that 1990s schoolyard talk, the board, but the gospel changes everything, including how we see ourselves and how we see him and how we see the world. You see, on the outside, there's behaviors, and that's what we do. But there's something deeper that, that, come, that stems. The behaviors are just branches, right? Underneath the behaviors is values, and that's what, as a society or what, as an individual, we believe to be good, to be better, or to be best. Those are our values, But those values come from somewhere, right? Those values come from our beliefs. Beliefs are what we believe to be true. But our beliefs come from something a little bit deeper and it's our worldview. It's how we see the very essence of the material world and how we compute in our minds what is real and what is not. And so when we become a new creation in Christ on the deepest level, how we see everyone and everything changes. And we have to let the truth of God define for us what is real and what is not. And that's why the scripture, like if I'm gonna base my life on one thing, we've gotta base our life on the Bible and on scripture, not on what your pastor says, not on what your priest says, not on what your mother says or your grandma, God bless your soul, who is so righteous. Like, not on them. We base it on the word of God, which is the truth, and it changes us and transforms us and it's living and sharper than a double-edged sword divided even to the bone and marrow what Hebrews 4.12 says. And so, I love how, I believe it's Romans 12.1 it says, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And so, our worldview, our mind, as we're a new creation, we're called to walk in it, has to be transformed. And I think there's two ways I want to really hit on. One is how we see our personal relationships. In light of the gospel, in light of what God has done for us, that, that better, it has to it has to change how we view our personal relationships because if we just look at the context of Paul's writing the second, the, this letter, Second Corinthians, people argue this is his third or fourth letter. We don't have the other ones recorded. He made a painful visit. He started the church there way before that. They broke out. They followed false doctrines, false gospel. They slandered and gossiped and betrayed Paul. They said, who is he? He's not an apostle anyway. He was preaching false. Like He had to bend over backward and pursue them although they rejected him. It's like, he started this church, he left. They literally just slandered him and said, yeah, he's an idiot. We actually don't follow Paul anymore, or we don't follow like, his gospel. They got lost over here. And Paul, like, while he's on his missionary journey, he's moved on, and he's planting other churches, and other people are getting saved, and the gospel's spreading. But the whole time, his heart hurts because he wants to see them reconciled back to God. He wants to see them reconciled back to each other and back to himself. And any other person could have said, you know what, to heck with them. I've loved them. I've already wrote them several letters. I already went back and visited them and tried to correct them. They wouldn't listen to me. I'm done. But isn't that a picture of the gospel, how Christ pursues us, how he kept pursuing them? And anybody else, I think, would be like, man, ministry's doing great over here. Why am I worried about that church in Valdea? Why am I worried about that church in Corinth? But yet, he kept pursuing them because not only did he want them to be reconciled back to God on what was truth, he also had a personal relationship where he loved them. And in light of what Christ had done for him, he wanted their relationship to be reconciled. And so I'm gonna read a passage, and this might get heavy in a second, and I hope it does, because I hope this, this really challenges anything that's not of God in our life. But if you look at Matthew 18, verses 21 through 33, and I'm gonna turn there really quick, and I'm gonna speed read, so if you don't turn there, that's okay. But that's the parable of the unforgiving servant And many of you may have um, heard this before, but verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. He just meant forever, unlimited. 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves when he had begun to settle them. One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Think of 10,000 talents as like a lifetime's work of wages, a lot of money. But since, 25, but since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, he commanded him to be be sold along with his wife and children, all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him his debt. But, that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, think of a day's wage, minimal amount of money, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in the prison until he should pay back what was owed. I'll stop there. Do you realize the love of Christ for us, the debt he has forgiven for us, and paid for us, once we are a new creation in Christ through this new lens, it is a contradiction to hold grudges. And I know this is heavy because there's some real things going on in the lives of our church that I'm aware of, but like, it is a contradiction to harbor unforgiveness in your life. If you, and, and, and let's just make this a, a statement right here, if you are holding unforgiveness in your heart right now and you are in Christ, you have forgotten what Jesus has done for you. And I know, I don't know the situation. I know it's okay, you don't know my situation because, hey, you don't know what he's done to me or what she said or what she did. I know there's, there's spouses. I know there's, 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 there's marriages that have been through rocks or been through rocky times. I know there's husbands and wives that have done things that are not obviously of the Lord. I know there's, there's mothers or fathers or stepmothers or stepfathers or in-laws or, 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 or coworkers or friends. I know there's real betrayal that happens because we sin and we're in a broken world full of sin that breeds more sin, but here's the thing. In the light of what Christ has done for you and how he's forgiving you, we have no right to hold anything over them. And so I pray there's some redemption here this morning because if we really change from the world, from our our, our perspective, our lens level as a new creation, it changes how we see every relationship in our life. It's not about what's fair. It's not about what's right. It's not about what we think is even. It becomes of we didn't deserve his grace yet. He gave it to us. And in the same way, we're called to be Jesus and not live for ourselves anymore anyway. There might be some relationships that you leave church, and you make a phone call, and you have to settle right now. Like, God takes this so seriously. Earlier in Matthew, in the Beatitudes, he says, if you come to the altar to offer your your sacrifice as a form of worship, but meanwhile, there's a relationship in your life, there's a brother in your life that you're quarreling against. He says, leave your gift at the altar, go and handle it, and then come back and worship. I almost picture him saying, like, hey, don't come and pray to me. Like, stop go apologize, go make that right, and then come back and talk to me. Like, that's how serious it becomes because you never know the very act of you fighting to pursue and reconcile that relationship might be the very thing that points them to Jesus They say, wow, I didn't deserve it. Why do you still care about me? Or if we're on the other end, if we're the offender, it might be just be we're the ones who messed up and we've got to get over ourselves and we've got to come to a place of surrender and humility and, say, and actually repent and go and beg our forgiveness for someone. And it might be that very act of you begging for their forgiveness out of a place of repentance. They say, wow, I don't know what's happened, but something's changed in you. And that might be the very thing that leads them to Christ. And it starts with you just trying to reconcile because you know what Jesus did for you. Does that make sense? Because once God makes us a new creation, it changes everything. It changes how we see everyone. And now our personal relationship, here's the thing, it's not personal anymore. It's not about Ethan and them. It's about Christ and Ethan and them. And therefore, it gets way more than personal. It becomes kingdom. And so in these kingdom relationships, I have no right to hold anything. And if I do, I've got to be very honest with myself. We've got to really look in the mirror this morning, church. And we've got to say, is there any unforgiveness, is there any bitterness, is there any relationship in my life that I'm holding onto and I won't give to God? And I pray before you walk out of these doors, you give it to him. Secondly, not only does it give us a new lens of seeing our personal relationships in a different light, but it's a new lens of seeing all people through a gospel lens, You see, I'll reread verses 11 through 16, but it says, since then, we know that what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was raised again. Verse 16, here's the emphasis. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see now, like, it doesn't matter who you were or who you are, what you think, or how you've been raised. If you're now in Christ, we don't regard people in a worldly point of view. Like, we now see people, like, they're either in Christ or they're not, Right? They're either new or they're old. They're a new creation or they're dead in their sin. I'm not worried about how good of a cook you are or how awesome of an athlete you are. Like when I was little, one of my heroes or idols was Michael Jordan. And I was just enamored by his athleticism and how good he was and how clutch he was. And I was even, for Christmas, I got this this video of like all his highlights and best games. And I loved it. And at that time when I was younger, if I would have met Michael Jordan, I just would have been just overwhelmed and ecstatic if he would have like, Giving me a jersey and then he signed it. But as I'm growing, as I got saved and God changed my life and and I'm a new creation, as I'm growing in Christ, if I met Michael Jordan today, I'm gonna be honest, I don't care if I have a jersey signed by him because I have a new lens. What I wanna know is, bro, are you in Christ or are you not? Because you're gonna stand before a living God one day and how good you shot a basketball means nothing in light of eternity. And so my lens has changed because here's the thing, You're either in Christ or you're not. And I firmly believe if I had the courage to say this, I'd say, hey, do you have three minutes so I can try to simply just explain who Jesus is and why he matters to you? Because now we see people through a gospel lens. If you're in Christ, a new creation, we are called to look through a gospel lens where Paul says, he says, in light of the knowledge of the fear of God, I try to persuade men. Like, Paul's literally saying, like, I'm yearning and begging and trying to persuade and convince them, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. Trust me, be reconciled to God. Look what he's done in my life. And so when we become a new creation in Christ, not only are we made new and made righteous in him, but we're given a new lens. And sometimes I think we just leave this lens at the bedpost. We don't take it with us. Because if we really see everybody... As in Christ or not, it changes because I'm not looking at someone now as a teacher, as a coach, as an alcoholic, as an addict, as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as, as a wife, as a coworker. I'm looking at them. Are, are they a new creation? Are they not? Like when you meet people, is it, is it your first thought or, or thought at all that do they know Jesus? I hope they know Jesus. Is there something I can do to show them Jesus? Is there something I can do to get to a place in conversation where I can bring up Jesus? Like, we have to be honest with ourselves. Like, if we, if we are not living in a way where that's a concern when we, meet, when we see people or meet people, we are not looking through that gospel ends. And we've gotta surrender that and ask the Lord to change that in us because we just got back from Engage Global. Thank y'all for praying for us. It was an awesome time. But we just got back from Minnesota this past week and just learned about God's heart for the nations and how many people live in areas where there's not a church or they're considered unreached. And there's currently over 3.2 billion people right now that statistically would live and die and never meet a Christian. And we know apart from Christ, they're not going to heaven and to spend eternity with him. That should hurt us. That's the reason Connection Church is serious about raising up and sending missionaries. That's why we just sent their team and their family overseas for training to plant a church where there are none. Like that should hurt us. Your friend or your coworker or family member that doesn't know Christ, it should hurt you because you should have a new lens as a new creation where that moves you so much, you're gonna transcend feeling awkward or uncomfortable because you know the same way you need Jesus, they need Jesus. And you persuade and you plead and you beg and you bring the truth to them. And so are we seeing and living in this gospel lens? Because if we are, we realize that lens is you, myself, and everyone else is going to stand at the foot of a holy God one day. And he's either going to welcome them in with open arms or say, depart from me for I never knew you. And I believe if we keep that in the forefront of our mind, it will make us pursue things that matter. And so not only do we have this new lens, but lastly we have a new purpose, right? Like we're restored back to God's purpose. And this is the last point I have on us like for us, and I want us to just like sit in this for a minute, but restored back to God's purpose. We talked about it at the beginning, like God's purpose from the beginning was for people to enjoy his grace, enjoy his love, but extend his glory. But sin messed that up. But we know his purpose is to gather worshipers from all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues. And so like, isn't that the story of the Bible? Like our God is a missionary God. Our God is a creator. He's a God of multiplication, of fruit. He literally created us to enjoy him and to multiply so others can enjoy him too. Like it's who he is. And so once we become new in Christ, guess what? It becomes who we are, right? Like it becomes our identity, I'm gonna reread 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verses 17 through 20. Once again, I'm just trying to drill this in for us, but it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's like it literally becomes like, we literally become a minister of reconciliation. Like that sounds super fancy, but it literally means like God rescues you to be a part of the rescue team. He saves you to send you. The gospel comes to you to go through you, right? Like we enjoy his grace, but also extend his glory. Like if you're in Christ, the spirit of the living God has come inside of you And that's what makes you righteous, and that's what qualifies you to tell others about his righteousness. I think a lot of times we get caught up on feeling incompetent, or like we're not good enough, but once we really realize that our identity is I am now a minister of reconciliation. I know growing up in South Georgia, if I heard the word minister, I mean, that just means you gotta preach on Sunday morning, right? Or you gotta leave Sunday school, or be a deacon or something. But like, we kind of muddy that word up The Bible literally says you have become a minister of reconciliation. And he's not talking to Billy Shiver, who's the lead pastor. He's not talking to her grandmother, who's a saint. He's he's talking to you. If you're in Christ, you have become a minister of reconciliation. So everyone in this room who's been a new creation, God looks at you and sees you are a minister of reconciliation. You are a spokesperson. You are a pastor. You are a shepherd. You are a preacher. And so we've got to understand, like, that's our identity as a son of God or a daughter of God. I become a minister of his kingdom. And that changes everything because now my identity is not in who I am or what I do or what my job is. It's not, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm the head coach at so-and-so. Oh, I'm the teacher at so-and-so. Like, now my identity is separate from the things I do. My identity is I'm a minister of the gospel. And so, like, by a show of hands, if you're in Christ like, who is, a member, who, is a, who is a minister of the gospel in here? Exactly. We all are, right? I might have the, the joy of getting to teach and be on stage and have a microphone, but I'm just as much as a minister as you are. And so not only does it change our identity, but also with identity comes purpose. It's our purpose. I like how at the end it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And we'll go back to that diagram, the the three circles we drew. You know how we talked about there was God's design, sin, brokenness. We repent, put our faith in, in Jesus, the gospel, what he did, and then it recovers our design for him. And so in just a second, we're gonna see that back up there and we're gonna complete that because there's something else missing. Once we recover God's design for our life, once we become in Christ, guess what? And you can go ahead and go to the next slide. He sends us back out into the world as ambassadors into a broken world and we're to declare his goodness into the darkness by proclaiming his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2.9 says. And so, not only does Christ save us and make us a new creation, he gives us a new lens to look through our relationships and everybody and he also gives us a new identity and with that new identity, it becomes a new purpose. I was meeting with somebody last week in college and they're like, man, I'm about to graduate soon and I have no idea like what my purpose is. And I don't know about y'all, but I remember being in sixth grade. Like I remember my whole life thinking like, what am I gonna do? What's my purpose? Like what do I wanna do? And, and, and I would get so mad because I remember being in sixth grade and like there were some people in sixth grade, no lie, in my class who literally were like, they were gonna go to UGA and then go to law school after that and then blah, 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 blah. They had their like, from then until 40 years old, they had it planned out. And I was still like, my mom was still yelling at me like to te- like brush my teeth at night. And they have like their 30 years planned out. Like I was upset, I didn't, I didn't know my purpose. And so once we're in Christ, we have a new purpose that goes way beyond that. Our purpose is literally to be an ambassador of the gospel. An ambassador is a fancy word. They, it would have been more familiar decades, centuries ago, but that means the king's messenger, the king's spokesperson. We have a message from the, we have a a holy king with a holy message. We have been made holy because of him and the holy word in us and the Holy Spirit in us goes through us to share a message of holiness that makes them holy as well. Like we are ambassadors and not only them, but just kind of a fun fact, an ambassador was expected to carry himself in a way that represented the king well, both in actions, both in word and in deed. So if an ambassador was acting out of line or being crazy, He would get killed, right? Because he was supposed to represent the king. But also, he had a message. And so, what does that mean for us? Like, as ambassadors of Christ, somebody should look at your life and ask why. Somebody should look at your life and say, why are you different? Why do you love me like that? Why do you do the things that you do like that? Like, somebody should see there's a difference, there's a fragrance of Christ coming out of you. If people don't see Christ in us, we've gotta look and say, like, are we really being obedient? And secondly I want to debunk a couple of things because we're called to share the gospel. We're called to proclaim the gospel with the ministry of reconciliation. We become ministers of reconciliation. We're called to explain that to people. We're called to share the three circles of people. We're called to explain why they need Jesus. And I don't know about you but did anyone else here um, when I was growing up I was probably 15 I took this note and like I said yes and amen and I was getting fired up but someone said hey at all times preach the gospel and if necessary, use your words. Raise your hand if you ever heard that growing up. Yeah, at the time I loved it, I was like, yeah, we're to live like Christ and everything. I didn't realize that led to really bad theology though. That led to me believing I can be nice and smile at people and that's me sharing the gospel. I can just be nice and just kind of stay in my own lane and not be mean and not say what I'm really thinking and not be critical out loud and open the door for them and, and buy breakfast or bring them coffee or once in a while. I, I I just thought that means I can either share the gospel as an evangelist and speak, or I can just be really nice. But as a new creation with a new identity in Christ, we our purpose is to explain the gospel to people. And if there's any like, there's any fallacy on that, I love Romans ten. Man, I'm glad no one's in the front row this morning. I'm just spewing just saliva everywhere. I apologize. I'm fired up. Somebody other day said, Ethan there said, say it, don't spray it. I've been spraying a lot. I'm sorry about that. But I digress. Romans 10, 13. Let me turn to it. Romans 10, 13 through 17 says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will we call on him whom, whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? I'll stop there. That same word for preacher is the same word in the Greek that is used for minister of reconciliation. How would they believe in him and who they have not heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? They won't. And so if we're just being honest, amen, if we're just being honest, like if we really go love God, we'll love people and if we really love people we will with our mouth and with our words share the gospel and the good news and I want to debunk two things really quick one is i'm not good enough i have a friend a few a couple dear friends both very similar i call them just my southern like country boy friends like love to hunt fish and and i just i didn't grow up like that and and uh they're both saved and realize their salvation's only in Christ but depending kind of on how often they've been the church or whether that in the Bible or all that, they don't feel worthy to share the gospel because how, how can I tell him about Jesus when I'm still cussing on the construction site? Well, how can I tell people about Jesus when I'm still doing this? Or how can I tell people about Jesus when I'm still doing this? And yes, God does call us to submit all our life in obedience, but guess what? I can tell people about Jesus because I'm not good enough. Because my righteousness was not in Ethan. Therefore, me sharing what God did for me has nothing to do with how good or not, whether Ethan read his Bible or not that morning. It has nothing to do with how much you've served this month. Yes, community is big. Yes, church is crucial. Yes, these are important things. I don't want to dismiss the the gravity of this thing, but I want us to, to debunk the idea that I'm not good enough. Yes, that the reason, like the idea that you're not good enough is the very reason you're qualified to share the gospel in the first place. Like, your competence comes because you're incompetent. The Holy Spirit in you speaks through you and says, Acts 1.8 says, I will come upon you and give you the words to say when you declare my name amongst the nations. When you start to share the word, no matter how crappy of a day you've had, you can humble yourself and say, man, that's all the reason I need Jesus even more. And that becomes your entry point. There's not an I'm not good enough so I can't share the gospel. It's I'm not good enough. I get to share the gospel. And secondly, let me debunk something else. Like I already kind of did about that saying of like, if necessary, use words, we have to use words. I met a man in Botswana while we were there for a month, partnering a campus crusade for um, Christ there in Africa. And it was at Botswana University. His name was Joshua. And I was like, hey man, you know what your name means? Or you know where your name comes from? And he did, he knew it was a biblical name. But he didn't know much about Christianity, although he had met Christians on campus before. And we started talking about it. over an hour time period we went from small talk to talking about basketball and other things like that. And finally got to like, hey bro, like, can I ask you some questions about Christianity? And I was like, yeah, of course. That's like, kind of like the whole reason I wanna talk. And through the next 30, 40 minutes, he just asked some good questions and I just explained to him how God reconciles him to himself through Jesus. And fast forward, he prays to receive Jesus. And he said, I feel like there's a physical weight that's been on my shoulders. I can't explain it, but now it's gone. And he actually had lower, just fun, this is a side note, but he actually had lower back problems. He kept going to the doctor for, And after he prayed to receive Jesus, he said, I feel like there's a little burden off my back. He stood up and stretched out, and he said, my, like, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And I thought that was cool, but he's teary-eyed. He says, in his words, there's some kids in here. He says, where the heck where the H-E-double hockey sticks? Have you been my whole life? He says, I've met Christians my whole life, but no one's ever told me who Jesus is. We have to tell people who Jesus is. A smile and a wave and, and loving them well, that's great, but we love them well and we look like Christ so that we can tell them about Christ. It's both in our actions and in our words. We can't separate the two. That's what it means to be an ambassador of the gospel. And the last thing I'll say before we close is, let it be our motivation. You see, in verse eleven and verse fourteen, Paul's two driving motivations are, in the light of the knowledge of the fear of God, meaning we're all going to stand before a holy God one day, and be held accountable. Like with that in mind, and then three verses later, verse fourteen. The love of Christ compels me. Other words, they constrains me or like handcuffs me, imprisons me. The love of Christ forces me to not live for myself, but to live for him. Like I think of a good father, I don't wanna disappoint him because he'll spank me. But I also know that he loves me. And I want others to know him as well. It's like, Paul. that was his motivation of like, every person is gonna stand before a holy living God. So I'm going to plead and beg and persuade them to give their life to Christ. And at the same time, if that wasn't enough, wow, he's so good. Look what his love has done in my life. And so I think if we keep those two things at the forefront of our mind and hearts, that will keep us living on mission. That will keep us living with that gospel worldview, right? That gospel lens. That will keep us reminded that we're a new creation with a new identity and a new purpose in Christ. And so this morning, as we go into worship, it might feel a little bit different, and that's okay, but Andrew and I talked, and we want this to be a time of response because I know that that second point, we talked about how our relationships are different now that we're in the kingdom. There's some of you here that Maybe your spouse has done some things that have clearly not been biblical. Maybe you're a family member, a relationship, a coworker, whatever, but out of what Christ has done for you, you are called to forgive and love them anyway. And maybe your next step is saying, God, help me to forgive them. Or God, help them to forgive me. And so maybe your next step is literally just Identifying where your heart is hardened at and saying, God, I give this to you. And so, matter of fact, why don't y'all go ahead and stand? And whether your next step is forgiveness, whether your next step is being reconciled to God and salvation, I want us to respond and engage with God because when we encounter the living God, we give Him a response, whether we walk away or we surrender. And so, I don't want this to feel weird or or worry about what others are thinking, but the the aisles are open, the altar's open. There's gonna be some people spread out along the back and the sides if you need prayer. But we don't want you leaving here as a church with unforgiveness, unconfessed sin, or literally just separated from God, still going on in your life. And so I pray that you would just be real with the Lord where you're at. And you respond and surrender and yes to him.